Good morning. So uh, I'm actually preaching twice today, once here at Oak Grove and then over at Drasco Baptist. So we've got a little bit of stuff to cover, and I'm going to try to do so here in the next about 30 minutes or so. Um, but I would just like to thank uh, Brother Darvin for the opportunity um, that I have to preach today. And it really is refreshing um, to be able to share the Word of God in my native language after these last few months. Um, for those of you who don't know, I've been in Panama for the past about three months, and I'm on, on, I'm on a trip here visiting. But um, I got married to a Panamanian girl down there, and I've been staying there, obviously. Um, and in the meantime, I've been doing ministry in her church down there. So it's already stressful enough, you know, to prepare a sermon or a lesson or something because you want to do a good job, you want to please God with what you do. But then when you try to do that in another language, it just compounds the stress by a lot. So it's really refreshing to be able just to kind of let it flow off the tongue today. So I'm thankful for that. Um, but I would just like to start off with a question um, this morning. Has anyone here experienced some discouragement this year and last year as well? Just raise your hands if you've experienced. Yeah. Yeah, I would say most, if not all of us here, have experienced some discouragement this year and last year as well. And most have probably experienced a lot. Because every day, it seems like we hear about more death, more lies, more hypocrisy, more corruption, more sin, and more everything bad. And listen, that can be exhausting. Every single day when we look at our society, our country, our world, and we see these things going on, it can be very exhausting and it can be spiritually taxing, especially if you're a person who loves what is righteous and good and you see the world just falling deeper and deeper into corruption and darkness. That can take a toll on a person. And people seem to be angrier, sadder, more anxious, more divided, more sinful, and more lost now than ever. And, and for us as Christians, we ourselves, we have our own problems and trials that we're going through. So when we witness all of this darkness around us, that can make our own problems harder to deal with. And some of our own problems probably are coming from the outside, these things that we are witnessing. It causes more stress, more anxiety for us. And this is the current situation. And we as Christians need to be honest about this, that we are affected by it. Because we're humans, right? We, we are imperfect. We are weak. We are frail. We are able to be affected by things outside of us. And the problems in our society and the problems in our own lives do take a toll on us. We have to be honest about that. But there is a catch for us as believers in Jesus. And here's the catch. That as believers in Christ, our ultimate hope is not in this world. Amen? Amen. Our ultimate hope is in God and in salvation, in heaven, in the kingdom of God. That is where our ultimate hope lies. And historically, Christians around the world have faced horrible hardships that have even been worse than what we are experiencing today. However, Christians have always had the unique ability to rejoice in hope, even in the midst of utter darkness. Even in the midst of the deepest, darkest situation that we could ever conceive, Christians have been the one group of people historically that have had the unique ability to rejoice and hope, no matter their circumstances. And today, my friends, I would like to share why that is. Why we as believers in Jesus can rejoice and hope, even in the midst of difficult situations. And if you're here today and you're not a born-again believer in Jesus, I still want you to listen and to consider how great is the hope that God offers to you in Christ. So the title of the sermon today is The God 
who is for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity um, you've given us here, Lord, to, to study your word, God, and to uh, hear about the encouragement and the hope that we have in Christ. And Lord, I just pray that you will guide me, Lord, as I, I share this message, God. And may everyone here, may every last individual here, God, be encouraged by the hope that you offer us in Jesus and by the security and salvation and favor and goodness you offer us only through your Son. Lord, let, let us rejoice in these things. Let us go from here with hearts full of joy, God, and hearts full of love for you and for our neighbor as well. We love you and praise you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so today we are going to be reading um, in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 39. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 39. And if you're a Christian and you're ever discouraged, I encourage you just to go to the book of Romans, especially Romans chapter 8. I don't know if there's a better chapter in the Bible for discouraged Christians than Romans chapter 8. It's just full of hope for us. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 39. Starting in verse 28, the Apostle Paul writes, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So every verse in this passage is just full of hope. And we're going to look at this in more detail starting back in verses 28 through 29. I'm going to reread that. Verses 28 and 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. So, Paul makes it clear here that God uses all things for the good of His children. Amen? He uses the good, He uses the bad, and He uses the downright ugly for good in the lives of His children. And we know that suffering itself is not good, it is not pleasant, but God in His goodness uses our suffering and our difficult circumstances for the highest good possible. And that good is conformity to the image of Christ. Notice he says in verse 29, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. So God is working in all things for the good of His children. And then in verse 29, we find out what that good is. He says, for, that's the connection there, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. And that's the highest good possible, y'all. 
is to become more and more like Jesus, to become more and more sanctified, to have God's kingdom will being done in our lives more and more. And he's working in all of our circumstances for that end. And also the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, that Jesus himself learned obedience through what he suffered. Now, Christ never sinned. We have to be clear about that. It wasn't that Jesus was disobeying and then learned to obey. It wasn't like that. Christ, he was always willing to obey the Father, but the Father allowed suffering to enter into Christ's life so that Jesus would learn how to put his willingness to obey into action. He was always willing to obey, but even through his suffering, Christ himself learned how to put his willingness to obey the Father into action. And I'm going to be honest here. It would be downright wrong for us to think that we will escape the same fate. If God himself allowed his own son his only begotten son, to suffer on earth in order to teach him how to obey the Father, then we need to understand that God will allow things to happen in our lives so that we also will learn how to obey him. God will use every bit of the good and the bad to conform us to the image of Christ. He will use every bit of it to lead us into deeper obedience to Him and to lead us into deeper relationship with Him. Because when things get hard, oftentimes that's when it's most difficult to obey God. But God, if we will allow Him to, He will use those things to help us learn how to obey Him even more. And this has been God's predetermined plan for us from eternity past. He says in verse 29, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. So God knew from eternity past who was going to believe in Jesus. He knew who was going to believe in Christ, and He predestined those who would believe in Jesus to be conformed to the image of Christ. So this is amazing here. From eternity past, God knew who would believe in Jesus, and He knew what we are going to face. From eternity past, God knew about every bit of the suffering that you would experience in this life. And he had a predetermined plan to use it all for good. And this is good news for us because this reveals to us that God is in control. Okay, Nothing escapes his attention. Nothing surprises him. And he has a predetermined plan to use all things for the good of his children. That means we need to trust him. And it says also in verse 29 that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ in order that we might be, or in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So we are to become like Jesus to such a degree to where we truly look like his brothers and sisters. And as adopted children of God, we already are Jesus' brothers and sisters, but God's purpose is that we would live that out in the open more and more that the internal change that he is um, wrought about in us would become more and more external. God wants us to not only be in the family, he wants us to look and to live and to walk and to talk like we are in the family, like we are brothers and sisters of Jesus, because that's who we really are. So the God who is for us is working in every circumstance for our good. He is thinking about us through it all. And every moment he is thinking about you, he's thinking about me and how to use our circumstances for our good. So may we continue to let the Lord use both our victories and our trials for his good purposes in our lives. Moving on to verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So we Christians, as the ones predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ... We have been called to salvation by God. 
And we've been called to salvation by God, and we've also been justified by God. And to be justified basically means to be counted as innocent of sin in God's sight. It means that God counts us as righteous before Him. So through Christ's perfect life and perfect sacrifice, this is our standing before God, before God Almighty, the God who is so pure that He cannot look upon sin with any favor, the God who is wrathful against sin. We as Christians don't have to face that wrath anymore. We are chosen. We are forgiven. We are saved. That is a reason to rejoice. Every morning when we wake up, no matter what our circumstances are, we can rejoice knowing that we have a relationship with God Almighty, that we have been made eternally pure in His sight, not by our own works, but by the work of His Son. This is a reason to rejoice no matter how dark the situation is that we are facing before us. This is good news. We are innocent before the King and the Judge of all, and He has become our Father. And furthermore, and this is wild here, the glorification of the Christian is such a secure fact that Paul speaks of it as having happened already. He speaks of it in the past tense. Notice it says that those whom He justified, those that God justified, He also glorified. Well, this is interesting because we haven't been glorified yet, even though Paul says we have been. And we're going to be glorified when Jesus comes back to raise us from the dead and to take us to be with Him in heaven forever. That's when we will be glorified. But Paul's point here is that our glorification is such a secure fact in Jesus that it's as if it already happened. It is such a secure fact that it's going to happen in the future that it's almost like it's already happened. That's how secure of a fact it is. Our salvation is 100% secure in Jesus as long as we look to Him and to Him alone. The only way to the Father. So, the God who is for us, He has saved us, and He will bring that salvation to completion when Jesus comes again. So may we continue to rejoice every day in the salvation that we have in Him, and may we look to Christ and to Christ alone for that salvation. Not to ourselves, not to the government, not to a boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, husband, family, career, none of that, but to Christ and to Christ alone alone. And then Paul, he just continues. He is just laying the hope out there for us to rejoice. And in verses 31 through 34, he says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who, di who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So going back to verse 31 here, if God is for us, and He is, since God is for us, then no enemy of ours can successfully be against us. The flesh can and will try. The world can and will try. And Satan himself can and will try to be against us, but these enemies of ours cannot defeat us. Amen. Now, why is that? Well, it's certainly not because of us, okay? We would be toast. If we tried to bully or try to bow up on the flesh, the world, the devil, man, we would be toast. It's because of God. Because God, He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. God is omniscient. He knows all things at all times. And He is omnipresent. He is in every place all the time. He fills the entire universe with His presence. And not only that, He is also love. He is also just. 
He is also holy and pure and graceful and merciful and wrathful. He is a father. He is our king. He is our judge. He is our one and only God. Literally no other being in all of existence compares with Him. Every other bit of creation is infinitely pitiful compared to the glory of God Almighty. And in Psalm 118, verse 6 says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do to me. Okay, Jesus Himself says, Don't fear those who can kill the body and do no more, but fear Him who can kill both body and soul in hell. So basically, God is the one to be feared above all else. And it's not like a terrified fear, obviously. It's a, a respect, a reverence for Him. So we need not fear what our enemies will try to do to us, as long as our trust is in God. Okay, I'm not saying be arrogant or be prideful. I'm saying put your trust in God above all else, and He will use everything in your life for good. Even the attacks of the enemy, God will turn and use for good. That is how good He is. We will not fear what man can do to us. Guys, this is the God who is for us. He is on our side. He loves us eternally, and He holds us in His hand, and He will not let us go. And additionally, according to verse 32, God gave us, gave up His Son, the life of His own Son for us. And He did this while we were still His enemies. Y'all, that is incredible love. And if God gave us His best when we deserved His absolute worst, then it logically follows that now that we are children of God, He will give us all the good things we need in this life to know and to love Him supremely. As he says in verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, even while we were his enemies, even while we hated him, even when we didn't want anything to do with him, when we were rebels, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All the good things we need to know and to love God and to rejoice in this life, he offers to us in Christ. And furthermore, no one can bring a charge or accusation of sin that will successfully stand up in God's court. As he says here in verse 33, we'll read that again in a moment. Sin, we need to understand this. Sin, all sin, is ultimately against God. So he is the one that determines whether or not an accusation or charge of sin will stand up in his court. However, in Christ, God already declares us justified and forgiven forever. As he says here in verse 33, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? And this is a rhetorical question with the implied answer being no one. Now why is that? It is God who justifies. Why would we think God's going to condemn us when He is the one that has already justified us in Christ? Unbelievers and Satan may try to accuse us, and they will try to accuse us, but these accusations will fall short because Jesus paid the price. Our sins have already been punished upon the cross, and we are identified by the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, it doesn't matter what the world accuses us of. It doesn't matter what accusation Satan brings before God. No one can successfully condemn us because Christ died for our sins, and He was raised from the dead, and He was ascended to the right hand of God where he, where he eternally lives to intercede for us. He is our great high priest forever. So when we do fall into sin, because we are still sinful, when we fall into sin, Jesus is there before God as the one who was sacrificed for our sins, who lives forever to intercede for us. So even when we mess up, even when we fail, He's there interceding for us before the Father. 
His blood covers us, and His righteousness is what we are identified by now. So the God who is for us, He gives us His best, He declares us innocent before Him, and He has forever freed us from condemnation in His Son, Jesus. And this would have been enough. Like if Paul would have just stopped here in the book of Romans, we'd be like, man, that was awesome. But the best is yet to come in this passage, verses 35 through 39. He continues, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So at the beginning of this section here, and going back to verse 35, Paul, he poses a serious question, okay? He asks, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He's asking, is there anything in this universe that could cause Jesus to stop loving us. That's the question here. And then he poses some possible candidates. And the first candidate he mentions is tribulation. Now this is very interesting because the word for tribulation in Greek actually refers to the challenge of coping with an internal trial, an internal, um, uh, an internal pain or pressure, especially when feeling that there is no way of escape. So tribulation is the challenge of dealing with the internal feeling that there's no way out, this is never going to end, it's never going to get better. And I'm sure we've all experienced that feeling before in our lives. That is tribulation, the challenge of dealing with that internal suffering. And the second candidate that Paul mentions is distress. And the Greek word for distress refers to a difficult external circumstance. So Paul here, he is addressing internal pain and external pain. He is addressing suffering that is occurring within us. And he is referring to suffering that is being imposed upon us from the outside. And then he goes on to mention persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, the sword. Basically, anything that could hurt or kill us is what he mentions here. And he asks the question, will any of these things separate us from the love of Christ? And then he goes on to quote from Psalm 44, verse 22 and verse 36. He says, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And this is important for us to understand that Paul, he's obviously quoting from the Old Testament here. And during the Old Testament, this was some Old Testament saint that was telling God that for your sake, because we love you, because we trust you, we are being persecuted, we are being killed, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And this is a great reminder for us that suffering has always affected the godly. Both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, suffering does come upon the godly. It does come upon us. Joseph He was sold into slavery by his own brothers. Moses had to lead the most stubborn, rebellious group of people ever in a desert for 40 years. Job lost everything. David was pursued without reason by King Saul. According to to tradition, the prophet Isaiah was sawn in half by King Manasseh of Judah. Jeremiah the prophet was arrested and hunted down and thrown into a well. Jesus was murdered. Paul was persecuted beyond belief. 
According to Christian tradition, the majority of the first 12 disciples were martyred. They were murdered for their faith in Jesus. Suffering does affect the godly. Suffering is not only for the ungodly, it, is also, it also happens to the godly. But it still doesn't separate us from the love of Christ. As we can see in verse 37, Paul answers the question he posed back in verse 35. He asks, will anything separate us from the love of Christ? Shall these things mentioned here? And then he answers that in verse 37. He says, no, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul is emphatic that no, none of these things, no amount of suffering could separate us from the love of Christ. The canon that's mentioned beforehand fall miserably short. So even the things that we're suffering today, and I know that we are suffering things as a society, but we are also individuals with our own personal battles and struggles. Regardless of all these things, no matter how bad it gets, remember that nothing can make Jesus stop loving you. His love will always be upon His people, and that sure fact will never, ever change. We are more than conquerors, according to verse 37. We are more than conquerors, and this is because God uses everything in our lives for good and because He Himself is working to help us to persevere in the faith. So as we struggle with our trials and our tribulations and our temptations, let us remember that in Christ we're more than conquerors, that even when things are really bad, we can still have victory over sin in our lives. We can still have victory over temptation. We can still have victory over persecution, even if the world kills us. That's even better because we get to be with Christ in His presence for all eternity. We win either way. But we have to remember that and we have to continue to trust God and we have to continue to rejoice in the victory we have in Christ. You are a conqueror in Jesus. Don't let the world and don't let people even from the church tell you, well, you know, that's just a sin that everyone struggles with. You'll probably never be able to get over that. No, you can. And I'm not saying you'll ever be perfect in this life because you won't, but boy, there are sin struggles that we sure can get over in this world if we will submit ourselves to God and keep fighting the good fight to the very end. We're more than conquerors in Christ. Amen. So now we, we arrive at the culmination of Paul's argument here in this passage, verses 38 through 39. He says, For I am sure. So Paul's saying that he is convinced of what he is about to say. And we know that the, that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul's words, so we know that these are God's words to us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, neither death with its icy cold grip, nor life with all its tribulations and trials, nor angels, nor rulers, nor good angels, nor bad angels with all their supernatural power and abilities, their strength that far uh, surpasses that of ours, nor things present, nor things to come, nor the, the trials and the temptations of the present, nor the anxieties and the uncertainties of the future, nor powers, and this word in Greek, uh, this word for powers in Greek usually refers to like demons, evil spirits. So no demon or devil from hell, nor height, nor depth, nor the, the farthest place away from planet Earth, nor the deepest, darkest part of it, nor anything else in all creation. And just in case Paul forgot to mention something else that was, that was a part of creation. And by the way, when he says in all creation, that includes me and that includes you. Or yeah, that includes me, includes you, because I'm pretty sure last time I checked, we were all part of creation. Nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing in all creation, 
can separate us from the love of God for us in Christ. The God who is for us tells us unequivocally, without debate, that nothing can separate Christians from His fatherly love and care for them and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are secure in Christ. So, my brothers and sisters, may we continue to rejoice in the hope that we have in our Lord Jesus, no matter how bad things get. And the way it's looking, things are probably going to continue to get worse before they get better. Maybe not. We pray and hope for the best, but we are also prepared for the worst. Amen? So, no matter what happens, may we continue to get up every morning and remember that in Christ, God has chosen us. In Christ, we are beloved. In Christ, we have an abundance of hope. So we don't need to be going around belly aching about all the bad things happening in the world because this world is not our ultimate hope. That's the perspective that we as Christians need to have. We care about the world and about people in the world, but God and His glory and our relationship with Him, that is our main priority. That is our ultimate priority. So I just want to encourage you all, never give up. I don't care how bad it gets. Never give up because this world will pass away soon and we will get to rejoice with God in heaven forever. Never give up. God is for you in Christ. And that is enough, my brothers and sisters. And if you're here today and you're not a born-again follower of Jesus, if you have not repented of your sins and put your faith in Christ as Lord and Savior, then I encourage you just to consider that this is a deal too good to turn down. That God offers all this hope to you in Christ, forgiveness of sins, escape from hell, and even more than that, relationship with Him and eternal life in Him. So please consider that. Let's stand. If anyone would like to come and pray for any reason, consider the altar open. Um, and if you want, you can just pray wherever you're at. Let's pray. God, I praise you and thank you, Lord, um, for the hope that you have given us in Christ. Lord, we, we have every reason to rejoice in hope, to be patient in affliction, to be faithful in prayer, God, because we know that you are for us, that you are not against us, God, and that you protect us from our enemies, both within and on the outside. And Lord, I praise you and thank you for this. And God, I just pray for each and every individual here and also for us as a church collectively, Lord, as members of the body of Christ. God, I pray that you will help us each and every day to live the best lives we can for your glory under the power and influence of your Holy Spirit, Lord. May we seek to share this hope that we have in Christ with others. And no matter how bad things get in this country or in this world, Lord, or even in our area, no matter what afflictions befall us, God, help us to remember that we can persevere in Christ, that in Christ we're more than conquerors. We can live lives that are pleasing to you, God. And we can continue to have joy and peace and happiness in the depths of our souls, even in the midst of affliction, God. Lord, help us to mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. Help us to be attentive to those around us, God, and just help us to love you above all else more and more. God, you are worthy of all our love, all our affection, all our obedience, because you've done all this, all this for us in Christ. God, we love you and praise you and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.